think the listeners enjoy being dumped into the middle of our conversation, but that is a great one. On a Gilmore Girls note, I am leading you are following. I am Lindsay Shooters. This is episode 116 of the Overclocked ZA podcast. Uh, I've introduced myself already. Gavin, Gavin Dudley is on the other side of the Skype call. Um, Gavin, Hello. how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. It's been quite a busy week, actually. I mean, not so much news, but just bits and pieces of products and tech that's touched my life this week. We've got quite a lot to talk about. That mm. <laughs> touched your life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, you know what I mean. Oh, you can't use the word touch these days. It's like yeah, such yeah, an unsafe yeah. word in so many contexts. Um, so impactful like like something it was a piece of technology that actually touched your life um gavin there was something that touched my life um, because i had to stay up for the live stream which was at 11 o'clock in mm. the evening i don't know what time it was on the west coast in the u.s um and it was a sonos launch we will be getting the sonos roam the worst kept secret in technology i mean it was <laughs> leaking all over the place for like uh -huh. the last month sonos has finally develop a water and dust resistant portable bluetooth speaker that is not only bluetooth if you walk into your house it will connect to your wi-fi it will connect to amazon's alexa and google's assistant um, when you are on a data connection it will no google i don't want to talk to you now um <laughs> it will also interface with all of the other Sonos devices that you already own. I don't know, Gavin. Um, I'm not rich, so I don't know. Maybe you have like a whole vibe going on in your house. You can use it as surround sound speakers with your other Sonos devices. Like, it's too good to be true. I'm sorry. I've 4,000 red arriving end of April in South Africa. I yeah. have well, yeah, been reviewing sorry. Bluetooth speakers and smart speakers for a very long time now. And... There's no way that a portable Bluetooth speaker, which is about the size of a Coke bottle, mm. can do all these things. Okay. Well, I mean, Sonos is a kind of a tricky company because they've always been a super premium brand. They're almost like the sort of the Lexus of, of speakers. So you, you know the brand, you've heard of the brand, but you don't see much of it around because their, their footprint on the ground in South Africa has been pretty small. We dominated by... UE uh, Ultimate Ears and JBL and all these other wireless speaker brands, which are all fantastic. Sonos has always been a sort of a premium product and hard to find in general. However, they were the pioneers of this cordless speaker in your home thing that connects up with other speakers all together in your home and it all plays together. You know, and then they got into a bit of a legal squabble. Who was it with? They were, they claimed that someone had stolen their tech. Was it Google had stolen their tech? I think yes. they got into a legal squabble and they kind of managed to settle that because when Google brought out its speakers with, you know, intelligent assistant on it and yeah. so on, Sonos claimed that, you know, Google had ripped them off. So, um, but it's tricky because Sonos couldn't really keep going forward without Google Assistant functionality built into the speakers going forward. So, you know, it's always going to be a bit challenging. I think... Sonos is still a tough sell in South Africa. There are other brand names that are much more recognizable on the shelf and much more affordable. Sonos is much closer to an audiophile level experience, mm. I think. So it's always a niche product in South Africa. But they give yeah, you that so set, the smarts, they give you the multi-room audio, they give you the smart syncing for like your surround sound stuff, um, which I think a lot of people, like in the early, in the late 90s, there was this, Thing where every single person in the world in South Africa who had a DVD player had like a 5.1 surround sound setup. Oh, like right. From they... a little flat 
in the yeah, yeah, yeah. middle of Sunnyside, Pretoria, where you piss off your neighbors um, <laughs> to like, everyone like that, and in the 7.1 stuff. And I am actually looking at a set of surround speakers that has now been installed <laughs> in our office at home. And oh. it was just like my father-in-law was beat out of the lounge and was like told, dude, no, those yeah. things are too loud. The sub rumbles yeah. too much. Like yeah. I have a 3.5.1, but it's only two speakers and a sub. Uh-huh. Um, behind the TV that I right. pull out whenever like we're watching good movies or something, but I can't leave Ventures. it plugged in because that sub you can turn it all the way down and it just booms. Really well, it rumbles. Well, the point the point with low frequencies is that it just travels, man. It just travels. <laughs> so, but you you live on a nice big plot. At least you're not like bothering your neighbors and stuff. But I agree with you. The multi-speaker surround sound thing was always limited because of the amount of spaghetti cabling it resulted <laughs> in the lounge. And then they would stand on funny posts. So the stuff was never really ergonomically well organized. It was always getting in the way. And many people actually found the sound from these multi-way speakers overwhelming. Actually, it can mm. be quite exhausting listening to multi-level sound. Um, I have got a very excellent LG speaker. I'm just leaning over to read its reference number. It is the SN7Y, an LG um speaker that came with a tv they sent me um and i'm looking forward to listening to that because i actually haven't listened to a speaker bar for some time but the Mm. speaker bar now replaces the multi-speaker set so the Mm. single speaker bar now has multiple speakers in it and of course there's much better technology to give you a directional or 360 degree sound including atmos of course that gives you height in your sound which they couldn't do before yeah so the other thing this rome has it (laughs) will constantly measure um, the space that it's in, so that right. you are getting um, good sound, like room-filling audio. Do you mean if I move it to another room, it will re-measure its environment yeah. and it While it plays, it sends out like an inaudible tone. Um, yeah. And okay. listens to how it bounces back and reflects. Uh, it's an interesting product. Um, it's very pricey for our market. I think, sure. um, yeah, I, I, I think audio is one of those things, just like video, um, where people don't actually good is good enough, you know. Like yeah, people I agree. Aren't like I high grade. That's why, yeah. like Apple Music will always be kind of relevant because of their marketing clout. Um, but because, like, they fine with being at whatever bitrate they are, whatever yeah, quality. They they don't good feel enough. the need to upgrade to a higher definition sound because they feel most people are playing it on such inadequate equipment. It doesn't make any yeah. difference. Yeah, I okay, sure. The same logic would be applied to screen refresh rates. <laughs> ah, yes, but that's your other bugbear, but we must circle our way back round to that sometime. What else yeah, but, What else you dealt with this week, man? Um, oh, I'm quite excited about the Fitbit Ace 3, which is for children. Um, eight days of battery life, children six plus up. It's like the Fitbit Ace, old, but it has like this extra kind of plastic casing around it or rubber casing to make it a bit more durable. Um, there's interesting. So the problem is um, uh, the Fitbit Ace 3 is available from next week and it will be 1,800 Rand. Um, and you can connect it to your Fitbit app as a parent. Um, the problem that they have, though, is Garmin has the license to Marvel and Disney princesses. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. And those are the key, the key icons that you need to be branding on your devices. Yeah, the Frozen people and the Disney princesses and Marvel. Absolutely. I agree with you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Garmin actually, yeah, Garmin brought out a Spider-Man one. I think 
think they also have Star Wars, actually. I think Garmin also mm. has Star Wars. Anyway, so um, uh, Fitbit's got minions, which is something. Okay, so uh, for those who don't necessarily follow what we're talking about, you know what a Fitbit is. It's a tracker. There's now like a bit of an epidemic around children's levels of fitness. They're much more sedentary than ever before. A, because they're not going to school and running around as much as they used to. And because they now have phones and things that keep them stationary. So the idea of keeping your children mobile has become quite a big talking point. Um, I think Fitbit estimates, probably based on global stats of some kind, that you need to do 60, a kid needs to do 60 active minutes a day, which is kind of interesting. It doesn't sound like a lot. I'm sure a kid could easily do 60 active minutes a day. Anyway, so you, you get this Fitbit tracker. It's kind of lightly reinforced for kids who, you know, going to treat it slightly roughly. And it's swim proof, so it's waterproof and so on. And it does, you know, alarms and it's got reminders for bedtime and all that kind of thing. And it tracks their sleep as well, which I think is quite key. And um, 1,800 Rand is not a fortune for a device like this that, you know, you can involve your kid in, your, in the family's fitness regime. I think this is quite a, quite a cool idea myself. Um, although, as I say, they are up against Garmin, who kind of, I think, has gone a little further in this market. Yeah. Uh, curiously, those devices do not have GPS tracking on them, which was kind of a big trend going towards the end of last year as well. Okay, but but Fitbit does claim to have what they call geofencing. So I don't know yeah. how they're doing this because geofencing, for those who are unfamiliar with the term, is you can set an area on a map, like a perimeter around your home or around your child's school. And when your child enters that zone or leaves that zone, you get sent reminders. So you know when your child is arriving at school, when they are leaving school, when they're reaching home, when they're leaving home. I think for a lot of parents, especially in South Africa, that peace of mind is quite a big deal. So how are they going to achieve that geofencing system without GPS on the device, Lindsay? Um, I have no idea. Mm. <laughs> okay. To be completely honest, I have yeah, I think absolutely we, we need no to, idea. We need to dig a little deeper on that and find out. It's possible that... Maybe you set, the, you set these geofenced areas on the parent's mobile device. And then mm. when, the kids, uh, when the kid's tracker comes within Bluetooth range of the parent's phone, then it maybe signals. I don't know. Mm. There must be some way of doing it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, geo, uh, GPS, I cannot even tell you the number of parents who I've seen go through multiple versions of these GPS little watches for their kids. Yeah. And it's just not working out for them because it's, it's like, it's very much like a fitness tracker where it's like, what are you actually going to do with that data? And like, like in the, in the normal times, like when it isn't a crisis, like I know there's no price on your child's safety. And sure. when you need the device to function, you need it to function. But like, as an average human being, like, what is the risk? Well, like, what is the number? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the threshold of spend or the threshold yeah. of, 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 you know, gadgetry that you will work on for your kids? Yeah, I mean, have you, did you, did you follow the, the, the Vodacom tracker called the Curve? I, mean, I was segueing into that. Okay. Oh, I see. Because that strikes me as a slightly more adult solution. And I don't see why that couldn't completely trump something like a Fitbit. If, you, if, mm. if security was the only thing. I mean, Fitbit, obviously, their angle is your child's health and well-being. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, but, uh, uh, I, I think the, lo the location thing is secondary. Yeah. On the ACE 3, there is no um, GPS location um, right. services there. It is not one of those. It is for activity tracking, the same with the Garmin right. devices um, targeted at the children. Um, but yeah, these trackers, this is a different thing. Vodacom, the curve. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, was was very, I was very interested in this Vodacom curve thing, to be honest. At first glance, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then I looked a bit further, and then I looked at the pictures of the device, and then I became hmm. much more convinced. So the Vodacom curve is this little puck. It's about four centimeters wide and about one and a half centimeters thick. It weighs about 30 grams, and the battery in there lasts about seven days. But what it's got is a built-in Vodacom SIM. It's probably not an actual physical SIM card. It's more like an electronic SIM. And um, mm. you take this device called the Curve, which has seven days battery life, and you attach it to your valuables. So you could attach it to your car. You could attach it to your child. You could attach it to your pet. You could attach it to your golf clubs. You, know, you could attach it to anything that you regard as valuable and you don't want wandering off without you. Mm. So then you use the Vodacom smart app, which tracks the movement of whatever has got your Vodacom curve tracker stuck on it. So um, the curve apparently will use GPS, Wi-Fi, cellular, and Bluetooth to mm. find out where it is. So it's not like it'll lose the signal and then you, know, you, lose, you lose touch with your, your stuff. It actually persistently tries to keep connected to something somewhere to alert you to its location. So, uh, I mean, some of the ideas people have come up with is like, you know, you could stick it on your laptop, you could stick it on mm. your sports kit um, and your pets and, you know, in, in pieces of clothing, even things like that. You leave your jacket behind somewhere, you know, at mm. a, uh, somewhere and you can find it this way. So I think that in the Internet of Things environment, this is step one, you know, how we will track and locate objects using the internet of things with a device like this that will connect to wi-fi cellular or bluetooth and will transmit its gps locations using those mechanisms and you can track it on your app of course if you have multiple vodacom curve trackers they all appear on your app at once so you can keep track of both your children and your car and other things i think this is a potentially a very big deal um uh, they are I, charging. I don't know how much it costs. Do you have a price? Seven hundred and fifty bucks, mm. um, plus a that's one so for the device, mm. and then it is fifty nine rand per month after that, which is okay. a little bit pricey. Thirty nine. Sorry. Now, if you're going to have four or five of them, sure, it suddenly amounts to quite a lot. I mean, having one thing tracked is fine, but. Mm. invariably you'll need to track more than one thing you know to, for a thing like this to work so interestingly interestingly though it's got global roaming at no charge so it will work even when you're overseas or if your jacket gets stolen and goes overseas you know you could still find it um that's quite mm. interesting i think that they've just got seamless global roaming you don't have to do anything at all um so Samsung smart tags yeah um, are similar. similar kind of idea they use ultra wideband and Bluetooth and connect to the pardon me, Smart Things app. And that is 500 Rand once off. But then in lieu of in lieu of GPS, yeah. What they do is they will 
broadcast the signal to Samsung devices around them. Okay, which form a kind of a mesh. Because yes. Samsung is such a big deal in almost every location you'll find a Samsung Galaxy phone. Find network. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so confident about this, man. I don't think um, this yeah. is near So Apple uh, are having an event also later this month, and they are rumored to bring out the Apple Air Tags um, as well. And then there yeah. was another product called Tile, which kind of kicked yes. off this um, little yeah. Bluetooth kind of tracker device thing. Um, and then I think in the high store, there's a satellite slash GPS tracking thing for your luggage. I forget what it's called. Okay. All right. Um, but I did reference it in one of my tech roundups for Man Magazine. Okay. Uh, yeah, so there well, are quite just, a few options. I think, though, that between something like Tile, which we won't go into now, which is very local kind of finding of things, um, and things like Samsung's tracker and various other trackers that have come out. When I think of the five or six, and Nokia also brought out one a while ago. When I think about that all together, the curve actually overcomes the limitation of all those systems. If I was going to go with one system, it would be this Vodacom curve, just because it uses um, GSM network, you know, and, yeah, and it has GPS it, built in. Yeah. 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 No, no, I feel you. I feel you. It is definitely mm. the superior product, but there are options for different price points and for different um, devices if you, if you are into like living in that kind of ecosystem. Talking about ecosystem, Gavin. Yes. Huawei is yes. wanting to build an ecosystem of harmonic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, were, you, harmony. you were so <laughs> critical of them, shame, man. You were just, you were damning about it. You were just ripping them off, kind of, you know. But understandably so. Just remind us again, what was your big reservation about Harmony OS, their, the, uh, Huawei's new operating system? What so was your big they, issue? spoke a big game about like developing this brand new platform um, with like a whole new data compiling system, subsystem. Um, and it turned out in the first developer builds to be just Android with a different skin on it. And then they were like, no, but you guys don't understand how open source works. And it's like, no, <laughs> Android. <laughs> yeah. you just don't have Google services. <laughs> Which okay, yeah, I mean, I mean... Is, is fine. But now tell us, you've spoken to, they had us all on a call. They were explaining about their past devices and future ecosystems, not naming any devices. Um, Mate 40 is coming on sale in South Africa, right. which is what we yeah. got out of that. Um, they've also launched the Mate 40E, which I have no idea like what the vibe is there, actually. Yeah. And yeah, tell us what, what Akram Mohammed, the chief technology officer of Huawei South Africa, told you. Yeah, so we were all very skeptical about the kind of numbers they were throwing around. Because if you followed our podcast at all, you will have heard us hammering on for over two years now about how Huawei is struggling to overcome the U.S. embargo that yeah. has made it impossible for them to use uh, Google services, which is how almost every other Android phone in the world rolls out, is with Google services on there, in particular the Google Play Store, which allows everyone to get their apps quickly and easily. Now, while we had to develop a system to work around that, because during the Trump administration, they just cut Huawei off from access to any Google services. The reasons are lost in time, so we won't go into it. But while we actually had to face up to this challenge, and I think has done so rather well, and in the process, as inadvertently, 
created its own app ecosystem, which is called the App Gallery, Huawei's App Gallery. And on the back of that, they've developed their own search engine. And now Harmony OS is a complete operating system. And if they can actually manage to differentiate Harmony operating system fully from Android, they have two big benefits. The first is they will actually have the de facto third platform after Android, uh, iOS, after Android and iOS, uh, Harmony OS will be the third phone platform. They even intimated that Harmony will run on devices that are not Huawei devices, just like Android, I suppose. Mm. And um, they are talking a very big game around Internet of Things because they imagine Harmony rolling out to lots and lots of devices. The phone might or might not be the first place we see it, but they are expecting to see Harmony OS on lots of other devices, which I think is a very interesting approach. So I'm backing them on that because I think the world actually needs a third smartphone uh, platform, not, not just an ecosystem with apps for a phone, but a whole platform, actually. As Android is a platform, as iOS is a platform, it runs on, well, you know, the core of it runs on TV uh, set-top uh, boxes, and it runs on tablets, and it does this, and it does that, and Android the same. I'm hoping that Harmony will offer us the same over time. I need to, I need to ask you one critical question. Yes. Why will consumers need to care? We have two, <laughs> we have two major computing platforms right. in Windows, personal computing platforms in Windows and Mac OS, right? Right. We have and Chrome, which with Chrome, Chrome OS celebrates its 10th anniversary. Um, right. That's major player in like the, the education space, not so much in the prosumer space. Mm -hmm. um, if you need something more focused, you're doing a Linux build. Um, so you can, I was actually interviewing somebody for your magazine, a computer scientist, a lecturer at UWC, and ah, he yes. uses a Macintosh, a, app, a MacBook, because that is proper um, Unicode. Like he needed like Unix, and that is the only, he prefers doing it in a, in a um, command line. Right. And that's the only way you get it properly. So okay, so that's you, pretty hardcore. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, like, why? Why do we need another thing? What purpose is it going to serve? Well, philosophically speaking, I think <laughs> when, <laughs> when, when the PC revolution happened, there were only so many PCs that were actually available in the world. In South Africa, for example, the ratio of PCs to people was 30 to 1 at that time. So... There were a limited number of PCs being created. PCs were extremely expensive. They were unevenly distributed all over the world. And it was okay to have two silos of platform, Windows and Mac, even though Windows was something like close to 90% of the market. The problem with that is it's a single point of failure. If something happens in Windows, like a, a fundamental security breach or anything like that, you can basically take down the world's entire technology base because it's all running on Windows. So that is why viruses and so many other things became such a big issue in the 80s and 90s, because you only had to develop your malware for one platform, which was Windows. So the reason Apple thinks its system is so secure is because so few people are using it that no one bothers to target them you know, for security breaches, and no one uses their Macs for anything serious like you know, running a bank and that kind of thing. So they've always made out like they're so terribly secure. The truth is they just have never had to deal with the kind of 
attack surface area that Windows had to deal with. I think that now that the number of digital objects in our life in the world is quintupled and it's multiplying and it's billions more than it's ever been, it's even more important for us to have diversity in our operating systems, frankly, so that we have less heterogeneity. I think that's the word. We want things to be less heterogeneous. Yeah. That's okay. my feeling. Speaking philosophically here. Hmm. No, 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 no. I, I, I feel you on that. Um, but I don't think there are big enough threats in the mobile world. Um, if there was, we would have had them already. Like, there have been, like, day zero attacks, but nothing on the level that you're talking about. I think mobile op operating yeah. systems by design are quite compartmentalized. So you can only take down like one app at a time. Sure, sure, <laughs> like sure. You can't, like, Except that you know, if Android starts rolling out onto TVs and laptops, as it is doing now, eventually mm. your attack surface area has gotten pretty big, you know. I think mm. it's quite big already. I think it's yeah, like billions over, of Android over, phones. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, and you don't, you don't hear mass outbreaks of anything. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I mean, remember, yeah. we are talking about the number of devices multiplying in orders of magnitude over the years to come. I, I, I still feel that, that Huawei need a big play to come back into the game, and I don't see it happening the way they're doing it now. They've already lost ground in China in their home market. They've lost ground to surprisingly not Xiaomi, but like yeah. Oppo and Vivo. Um, they, yeah. they snatching at straws now, man. I think, I think the, the, the lead is too far. Um, no, for the no. Other guy. I think the opposite. I can see we're going to end up arguing over this week to week going forward yeah. as we argue about so many other things. Um, I think that if there was one company who was going to have to pioneer a new platform for the world, how, Huawei would be one of the best companies I could imagine. They were big enough to actually have the resources to drive something like this and have enough skin in the game to, you know, have it be a corporate incentive to, for the Microsoft company to survive. They have to get do it done. Yeah, okay, Microsoft. But that's the oh. point. Microsoft had too many other things going on. They were still heavily reliant on, you know, uh, PCs and gaming and all sorts of other things, whereas this is... Huawei's game, you know, and they've got so much skin they, in this game they realize that I think it's incumbent that, on them to make it work. Uh. That's the other thing. Um, you, you sent me a very funny clip about, like, Android people. And, <laughs> and, yeah, that was good. And, and I think it spoke, uh, uh, it spoke quite deeply to me where it's like, you acting like Android is some sort of underdog. Like, people act <laughs> like they need to take down um, Apple and, like, they are being different by choosing an Android. And it's like, nah, bruh. I just dropped my S21 Ultra um, YouTube review uh, today, finally, after overcoming all of my production issues. Um, Wait, where, can we, where can we see that? On? Uh, that's on YouTube. That's That Opinion Guy on YouTube. Um, just mm -hmm. search That Opinion Guy, Android, uh, Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra. Um, mm -hmm. And my conclusions there was, and it's always what I circle back to is, I cannot produce this podcast on Apple devices, like on, on like mobile, so like an iPad and an iPhone. Um, okay. it, it's a different workflow altogether. Um, video editing, I can do that, but audio is a big problem, uh, especially the apps that I use to, to like get this done. And it's that whole prosumer idea where sure. 
you're not only consuming, you're producing as well. It's not like I'm a professional and I use these tools. But what prosumer means is you produce and you consume on the same devices. And there, okay. Android will give you a bit more flexibility, um, but the apps are better optimized for the iPhone. And like, yeah, again, that, you that, and your, that, that you and your niche cases. I mean, you're a creator. Creators are like 2% of the market, not even, you know. But we get so, marketed to. We get marketed to. Okay, and sure. Like everyone buys their Galaxy S21 Ultra and they're like, oh, I'm going to make these amazing videos and stuff. And it's like, <laughs> true, true. With the multiple <laughs> cameras that I can edit between like a movie maker. To, like these phones get sold to me specifically and I get all excited. And then you look at like my reviews, the review process where it's like, what is this phone bringing to normal people? Not me. And then yeah. I like get stuck on a rant of like, yeah, cabled headphones aren't going to work on you because Samsung does weird things with the Type-C port. And that's yeah. important only to me um, as far yeah. as I know. But I believe that if you're going to take away a feature, mm. you should have a solid backup plan and you should educate your customer. You should communicate to your customer to be like, your Type-C headphone dongle will not okay. work if you do not buy it directly from us. You're being completely disingenuous. This is how Apple educates and drives things forward. We've taken away the disk drive. Live with it. We've taken away the USB ports. Live with it. You know, it's like, that's but, just how they educate the market. Like, bugger off and live with it, you know. <laughs> look at the iPhone. I'm, I'm just looking at, like, mobile devices right now. Yeah. They take away the headphone jack. Yeah. But you can go into any smartphone shop or any shop that sells accessories, and if they have a lightning connector there that's supposed to do something, you plug it in and it does the thing. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. Um, <laughs> Talking what, about else, what else Microsoft do we have to hammer on getting about? It yeah. done. Um, I got a lot of love from the Microsoft Edge browser team on Twitter the other day because I was Ooh. proclaiming I knew love for them because it's like it's one of those the hot the, the honeymoon period is long time over like i gave up chrome as my as my browser of choice and switched to edge a long time ago i right. think i'm going on two years now and i do it on yeah, my android devices on my both windows pcs i we do not to edge use chrome. and yeah. we never looked back right it just got better and better basically yes, yeah. and it just keeps getting better like now they have vertical tabs so instead of like the tabs running across on the top um mm -hmm. Because laptop screens are like coming out at 16 by 9 and other weird, non-productive, anti-productive. They're much wider than they are tall, yeah. Mm -hmm. So having your tabs go run along the side and having the full browser window, it, like it, it's, it's a couple of millimeters, but it's an important couple of millimeters. You win back so much real estate. Yeah, what I found interesting was that in, as the tabs stack up on the left-hand side, they actually show you in, in the tab itself, it shows you a little bit more of the title of the web page than it would when they were stacked across the top. So mm. it's actually easier to find the page you're looking for. However, because of muscle memory, I could not get used to clicking <laughs> on the tabs on the left because of the muscle memory for jumping between tabs on the top is just so entrenched. So what would happen is every time I would try and close a window by clicking on, I would close the whole browser because I would yes. click on the top right corner. Yes. Damn it, man. And eventually, so, so that just started getting just, on my nerves. So I then I, I switched back to the top tabs. Okay. But I'm, it's good to so you have that option. Yeah. I'm stuck in that now where, like, I've, I've 
trained myself. My, like I've become accustomed to the tabs being there. So if I want to switch tabs, I go there. But uh-huh. when it comes to closing it, because there's no X <laughs> on the yeah, tabs, exactly. like you have to hover over it and then it's yeah, expands. Yeah, yeah. And then you, exactly. Like I just, <laughs> I just have a brain fart. Like I have to think about it like for, for like five seconds. How yeah, do I, I just, close it? <laughs> That's not driving me crazy. Of course, because I've got like 30 browser windows open. Every time I close the browser, reopening it creates all these other problems. So, you know, so I got over that. But edge for the win, generally. Um, If you don't even know what we're talking about, Microsoft started off behind in the web browser game, significantly behind. And as it was picking up momentum, Google Chrome came along. And Google Chrome just had a monstrous lead on the market. And they crushed everyone in their path. Microsoft, Firefox, everyone else. Google Chrome just became everyone's default browser. And eventually, Microsoft built Edge, which now is almost unavoidable if you use Windows. They're constantly pushing Edge at you. But the great thing about Edge is that it's built on the Chrome engine, but without any of the hanging on stuff. So it runs faster and more efficient with all the benefits of Chrome. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. I strongly recommend... Try Microsoft Edge and try it on the phone as well. It's even better on the phone, the Microsoft Edge browser. Give it a whirl. Mm. And it's better on budget phones, which you have been playing around with. You've been sending me all sorts of pictures <laughs> on, on, on the socials and on OneDrive folders, Gavin. Um, yes. I, 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 see, I think that was a bit inappropriate. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, um, yes. I mean, budget phones. Smartphones. Yeah, budget phones are my thing, man. I just, I mean, the phone vendors are not going to love me for this, but I just see people overspending on phones just dramatically. I understand that phones are kind of a status symbol in South Africa, but people still overspend on phones that they can't really afford. I'm finding that the phones around 5,000 and 6,000 Rand, what we're calling our budget phone category, are almost the best phones to have. They do all the basics really well. The cameras have gotten superb. So, I mean, what I've been sending Lindsay all all of them, though. (laughs) No, not all of them. But on on average, the cameras are really good. So I rounded up. I did this last year, uh, somewhere around September, rounded up the uh, the budget phones, 5,000, 6,000 rand. And now I did another round because a whole lot of new handsets came out. And here is the provisional results. The Nokia 5.3 for 5,000 rand is my favorite for form and function and design. It's kind of really balanced and it feels fantastic in hand and it feels like tough while looking extremely sexy. So, you know, that's something that Nokia has got right. So if I was gonna personally choose a phone for 5,000, 6,000, it would be the Nokia, but my criteria are different to other people. The, Oppo the camera a- is potato. Yes, the camera is not the best. It's good enough, but it it just was overshadowed by these others. So the Oppo A53s probably has taken the best pictures out of everything we tested, but it's run close with the Xiaomi Note 9. Um, The two of them produced very, very good photos all around. Um, um, The Xiaomi Note 9 is a 4,300 Rand phone that blew us away with value. It's beautifully Mm. built. It looks great. And as I say, the camera is amongst the best. Unfortunately, I mean, I, what started me off down this road was the Huawei P-Smart 2021, which is traditionally Huawei's budget phone offering that pulls together the best tech it can. And mm. it's normally somewhere around the 5,000 Rand mark. So the P-Smart 2021 started off as my champion and it had superb battery life. And of course, I overcame the Google services problem. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, it didn't have any one feature that was the best in class. So it kind of got pushed off the podium 
by the Oppo, by the Xiaomi, and so on. It's still an excellent phone, but it did get pushed off the podium. It didn't get a podium finish. Um, what arrived yesterday was the LG K61, which is a yeah, yeah, it's a strange combination. The cameras look superb. The screen is fantastic. I don't know what they're doing with that screen that it looks so fantastic. The processing power is kind of middling, but I haven't had enough time to see where it fits into my mix. Um, mm. So uh, if you want to see the full rundown of how this all played out, it will be in the upcoming issue of Tech Magazine, but I'll be doing a short-form version of it on Tech Radar ZA as well. So go and visit Tech Radar before the end of the week. The story will be up with all my findings. And I've included phones that are previously tested in the, the budget phone shootout. Yeah, mm. that's my story there. No, that's 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 impressive. Like the, the pictures you were sending through that, that Oppo A53S, that also comes with a 90 hertz refresh rate screen. Um, right. If you're yeah, into right. that sort of thing, I don't know why you would be. Lindsay has uh, issues with high <laughs> refresh screens, even though, I mean, some people love them. Some people just don't care. I'm one of those, I don't care. You kind of a little bit on the fence because you're not sure how much you care just yet. But you uh, suspect that it's it's less bang for for battery yeah, than you would no, like. It just it. kills your battery for no good reason. Talking about that, there's another new gaming phone in the market, the Asus ROG Phone 5. Um, oh, a monster of Those a device. Monsters, man. Yeah. It's like three different versions, I think. There's like the ultimate version and uh, with like a um, e-ink display on the back that you can customize. Oh, wow. I didn't hear about yeah. that. Okay. And it's coming with like all sorts of... It's obviously like 18 gigs of RAM, Kevin. Eight. Yeah, so, so these gaming phones are complete monsters. I mean, they never officially sold in South Africa, but you can just buy them online. So Asus has got one, Acer has got one, um, Razer has got one. All the big gaming brands have got one of these monster phones. Really worth checking out. The designs just look fantastic. So you're, you're referencing the Asus one now, right? Yes, ROG 5. Um, yeah, all the, embar the embargo is lifted today, so all the videos are up online. Uh, hmm. Marquez, uh, Dave2D giving some great coverage on there. I think um, Lou from Un Unbox Therapy was giving away a couple um, with his live unboxing. Do we I, do we assume that these are AMOLED screens, yeah? I think yes, we can assume they, that. They Obviously. have to be. And yeah. I refresh rate. You, you, can't, you can't come to market without those sorts of things, Kevin. Yeah, no. Like, yeah, what, no what, yeah. You, what are you trying to sell an iPhone here? <laughs> Just out of interest, out of interest, what core chip are they using? A Qualcomm 800 series or what? Yeah, it's the 888. It's the yeah. Snapdragon 888 and it's clocked to major stuff and using the adreno graphics and 18 kevin why do we need 18 gigabytes of ram on our phones why? well i think we've discovered that over time the the processing power is a big factor but an even bigger factor is the ram on the phone it actually keeps the phone fast and fluid for longer than the actual processing so ram you know allows you to load big applications allowed you to load big applications quickly allows you to move between applications, allows you to load multiple applications. Those things are not processor dependent. Those things are all RAM dependent. And mm. so RAM often will cover for a weak processor, you know, because it makes the phone feel fluid and, and so on. And I think some of these top-end games also are probably very RAM intensive, and you probably need a large part of the game running in memory, you know, in order for it to be fluid and so on. So I think that's an unusual case for RAM. It can only be a gaming phone that will have those kind of demands. Although, I mean, we've seen Samsung phones with up to 12 gig of RAM, haven't we? Yes, and oh. uh, 
I'm currently using one with 12 gigabytes of RAM. Jeez, dude. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't see what you could possibly be doing that will run to 12 gigs of RAM, except for gaming. Gaming, I could see a case for it. Uh, the funny thing, I still see stuttering, um, even on the S21 Ultra. It's a little bit better now after, like, two software updates. When you say um, stuttering, but, you mean in video decoding and that kind of thing? Or no, especially you, in the camera app, like this. <laughs> it's just like, you'll just lose frames. Like, you, you'll... You you'll press the shutter button and it just won't take that picture. It will be like, no, I don't, I don't feel like it. Um, but surely and then you'll that, get that's, the next one. But that's because it's trying to process huge amounts of image data. Presumably, that's uh, why it's no, playing. It, I'm it guessing happens, here. It happens quite haphazardly, and I mean, like, I I kind of expected it to when you turn on to 108 megapixel. So yes. if you if you fire off two okay. in quick succession, two or three shots in quick succession, like the first one will buffer, like to the RAM that's built into the, the image sensor. And then the second one, you'll just, it will just tell you, hey, Dad, just chill a little for those, bit. For those who missed what he said, it's quite important. He said, when I go to 108 megapixels, that means he's using a phone that can take pictures at 108 megapixels. Then he wonders why he can't take a whole lot of them in quick succession. You know, this, no, is, but... this is how Lindsay rolls. Me, I take pictures out of my car of people's bumper stickers and stuff like that. Lindsay actually creates art with these cameras. So it's a whole no. different scene. <laughs> Most of the time, it's on normal um, because the 108 megapixel, it's very... You have to remain very still, and I don't have such steady hands, hence not the surgeon trying to make money, making content for people <laughs> that you enjoy. Please subscribe uh -huh. to my Substack. Your <laughs> <laughs> Substack is called Circuit Board, by the way. It's an excellent newsletter. It comes out on Thursdays where he pulls together just a little bit of light thought leadership on a variety of topics. He's done battery life. What else have you done lately? Any, anyway, generally interesting stuff. It's a quick read. You read through his newsletter in five minutes. But you feel kind of schooled and upgraded in your knowledge of one small topic. You know, normally it's tech industry related stuff. So I strongly recommend you go to his Substack and uh, subscribe to Circuit Board. Why don't you explain what Substack means? Most people don't even know what that means, Lindsay. It's like a newsletter publishing platform. It gives you all of the tools to engage with an audience. and. The so how, how would we find you when you say go to my Substack? What does that mean? So it's, you can go into the podcast description and just click on the link that I have placed there. Otherwise, Otherwise. you can search for or you can go into your address bar in your browser mm. and hit circuit so c-i-r-c-u-i well i just lost my... normal spelling for circuit yeah yeah okay. and then the board is b-o-r-e-d dot substack dot com s-u-b-s-t-a-c-k um, exactly like yes. it sounds and okay. then you will find it but yeah so it's just worrying most of the time i'm in 12 megapixel or 12.2 i think it burns down to and i'm chasing my kids around and in mixed lighting conditions and stuff and yeah just sometimes the phone will say no i don't want to take that picture my worst okay. is with this multi-frame processing that happens now um where the picture you take is not the picture that the, the phone decides it wants to give you mm. so like sometimes you can see the processing happening where it's like you take the picture and you view it, and then like for a split second is the picture you wanted, ah. and then it decides. And then no, it, it actually like draws it. something completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I've had yeah, that. I didn't like that frame. I'm I'm going to use the highlights from that frame. And anyway, very very okay. confusing. Um, but yeah, sixteen. No, iPhones are four gigs. I think we're up to six gigs now on the iPhone 12 Pros. 
Yeah, uh, but that's a bit misleading because they, well, they manage the memory on the phone hugely efficiently. But, yes. you know, again, they, uh, okay, we won't get into the details. There isn't time. Okay. Yeah, it's also the reason why your, your Android phone um, burns through battery that quickly. Um, yeah. Gavin, talking about lower, te less taxing processes, or at least taxing processes, depending on how you look at it. I found out that through an email, um, from Microsoft that my Microsoft 365 account allows me to download a bunch of templates. So there's all these templates for all the things you might want to do in Office. So like a budget template or like a budget when you're saving for a wedding that flows into yes, like a bar yes. graph or something. Yes, and okay. Like a CV template and all this. Yes, or a calendar and stuff like that. Yeah, Amazing things available to MS365 account holders. Um, I'm not exactly sure how to access them. I just found them through this emailer that I got, but there must be a store somewhere. And I think in the startup page. Yeah, like that's where it page, is. That's exactly um, where it is. like templates and stuff. Yeah, yeah there's a certain MS365. number of templates that ship with each one of the main apps for Word, Excel, and the PowerPoint templates are particularly good and so on. But mm. there's a fixed number of templates that ship with the application. And then... If you scroll through those templates when you're starting a new document, you will it'll link you to more templates, and that will take you online where you can then pull down templates directly from Microsoft 365. You know, so you don't have to have them all on your system. You can go and fetch them as you need them. But the number mm -hmm. of templates available is indeed dizzying. And the point here is that you might think you want to create a custom template, but they have already refined all the design elements of what makes for a powerful page design. Mm. You, if you're not a professional designer, you don't really know the simple basic rules of design, whereas they've already solved all that in the templates. So, you know, normally using a template automatically guarantees you a certain aesthetic that you might struggle to achieve if you try and build something up from scratch. So, you know, most people are quite happy with a, a template that ends up with a good professional look. Mm. Um, mm. I've got another tip, though, that's even better than that. And I use this one. I use this one a lot. Okay, it it I, I originally thought it was specific to Microsoft applications, but it's actually not. It actually works across the board on lots of different Windows applications. So I think it's actually something endemic to Windows. And it goes like this: You can type a sentence all in lowercase. If you want to turn that whole sentence into uppercase, you select the sentence and then you go Shift F3. And it will show you the line in uppercase. If you want sentence case, that's the first letter only capitalized, you go shift F3 again. If you want mixed case, that's where the first letter of each word is capitalized, you go shift F3 again. And if you want to go back to lowercase, you go shift F3. So by pressing shift F3, you can cycle through the case of the letters and all the different permutations of it. And this is really useful for people like me who get really carried away. They type a whole paragraph with the caps lock on and they don't realize it. It's a real pain to go and fix that by clicking. You can obviously click around an application to fix most of those things. But this way, you can just select and shift F3 to cycle through the different casing for the text, which I think is a huge time saver if you're someone who works a lot in text, as I do, as you do, Lindsay. Mm. Yes, yes, and, yes. And I have come across that so many times. I used to work on copy desks. Um, I figured out today that I have a gigantic blind spot. Um, just referring very casually to the Meghan Markle and um, Prince Harry interview yes. with Oprah. The Sunday Times runs a 
story about somebody's reaction to it. And it said something like, journalist tweets, Prince Harry's wife is, what? Pin- Princess Pinocchio. And huh? Okay. Yeah. Anyway. What the hell? All right. <laughs> so, okay. So, so this I see it on Twitter and Hassant Abada, who's got a book out now called Hack with a Grenade. He used to be the editor of... Um, Cape Times, I think. At right. One stage. Yes. Right. And he, I think he runs comms for he runs comms for UWC now. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so he points this out, and he's like, uh, "We know who she, who Meghan Markle is." And I'm like, "Well, the sub wanted the alliteration, and like a lesser copy desk would have mangled the facts and called her a princess, although she was never given the title princess. She's been a duchess, but not a mm. princess. So then right. he used they used." Um, Prince Harry to make the alliteration, I and see. for the pa pa and he was like, "Yeah, but it's also quite sexist to um, denote a woman's stature by mentioning a husband." Yeah, and, sure. And I was like, "Wow, I have a massive blind spot because I'm a word nerd first and an editor second. <laughs> no, you see, I would have, I would have totally picked up on your second thing there about the the sort of the gender weighted terminology that would have struck me immediately. Okay, very, very. Uh, feeble connection to tech that i would have to say and who heaven knows no one needs to speak about harry and megan anymore you know for people who (laughs) for people who ran away from the royal family in order to go and live normal lives they just spent a lot of time with oprah on national tv for millions of dollars trying to live quiet normal lives i don't think so man there is a well actually that opinion i got from sir gareth cliff which to be honest i hadn't dawned on me until he said that that this is precisely what's going on. They make out like they want to have normal lives, but they need to raise capital to like live, you know? <laughs> yeah, so. I, I loved, I loved, I did watch it. Um, I, I, I loved the Archwell business presentation that they just shoved in there towards the end. <laughs> but one thing that's, that. that's strange for me is this was a big win for um, Paramount Plus, which is a new streaming service in the States. Yes. Um, the Paramount Pictures, or at least Paramount has assembled all of this stuff like CBS and that into a streaming service. Um, but both Harry and Oprah, so Harry has Netflix deals and he is with Oprah on an Apple deal to create um, some mental health programming for okay. Apple um, TV+. And I was wondering, like, Oprah was on stage at Apple, like, trumpeting that she wants to be in a billion pockets and whatever. Yeah, and, she was going to run the book club thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and now you're taking this high-profile interview and you're buggering off. Going making, somewhere else with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think she made like 8 million or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think what's important, uh, uh, techie speak uh, around the Paramount Plus launch is that it signals the last of the big media companies to launch a streaming service. So there's no player now who does not have a streaming service in media, in telecoms, and in tech itself, like Apple and Mm. Amazon and so on. Everybody now has a, a significant streaming service, all the big players. So Paramount Plus was the last, which I think, what was the, what was the one before that? It was probably Peacock was before that. Uh, yes. I'm not sure. Yeah, before that was, what, HBO Now? I'm not sure. But, you know, they've all been coming HBO on. HBO Max. HBO Max, yeah. They've all been coming slowly, slowly, slowly. What, when did Apple launch? Was it beginning last year, was it? No? Uh, I think it was. Two years old now, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Gosh, I'm losing time. Okay, well, every major player now has a streaming service. Lindsay, if you had to pick one streaming service to be stuck on a desert island with, which one would it be? Only one on a desert island. 
Oh, I think I'm going to have to be boring and say Netflix. Eh? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm also going to go with Netflix. <laughs> I love my Amazon Prime. I kind of enjoy my Showmax from time to time. But for variety and quality, if you combine everything together, Netflix also because they seem to be bringing the most amount of new stuff to the fore. So yeah. Netflix works for me too. All right. Um, but I think we've gone pretty long, hey? Yes, we have gone pretty long. Uh, tomorrow's uh, Circuit Board Newsletter is all about um, the Roblox um, IPO and what that oh, means. Ah. Yeah, what that means about gaming. Because like when I grew up gaming, like we're talking about Commodore 64, we're talking about um, Super Nintendo Entertainment System, family right, home so computer. 16-bit level, stuff. yeah. Okay. Uh, there, there was a lot of work that I had to do to be able to play the games in yes. the early days. Yes. Um, nowadays, it's a complete consumer market. You know, like you can't, there are no, for me, what I'm seeing in the research as well, there's no transfer of skills, be it computer programming or whatever, from gaming now um, to real life. Okay, but you think Roblox goes some way to solving that? Uh, no. Or is an example of how it could be done? Isn't, uh, so maybe for the benefit of the listeners, you better explain what Roblox is. Just the sentence. I don't actually know. Um, because <laughs> we, are, we are Minecraft family. <laughs> okay. I think yeah. um, Ro- Roblox allows you to build up an animatronic kind of yes. uh, transformer and, type character, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a Lego Using, sort of thing. And you can yeah. buy um, parts. Like you can Robux. buy better wheels yeah. and better weapons and things like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, uh, it's that. Um, that my credit card might be floating around in the hands of my daughter that kind of puts me <laughs> off Roblox. <laughs> uh, okay. So what, what is your point about Ro- Roblox and programming, though? I don't, I'm not sure I followed. Well, maybe uh, we should so, read the circuit board newsletter to find yes, out what the yes, point of Roblox yes. is. That you should. Um, and that's my story. Um, S21 Ultra video is up um, on YouTube. Um, and you can find all of that content um, through the shop window that is that opinionguy.co.za. Kevin, what's up with you? Um, I will be putting up my shootout of the budget phones, a shortened version on Tech Radar, full full length version in Tech Magazine, the upcoming edition. I'm reviewing a bunch of TVs at the moment as well, so we're going to do a feature on TVs in the magazine uh, coming up, and I'm playing with the Oculus Go Two, uh, uh, which is by far the best VR experience so far. And you'll be interested to know that I currently have the Fitbit Sense, which yes, I saw it. I saw it on your wrist. Okay. I was quite... For those who don't know, Lindsay's quite quite a fitness metric nutter and he's a bit of a, fit, a Fitbit nutter. So I should probably swap this with you for something at some point. We'll, okay. We'll see. All that's protocols my observed. We will be back <laughs> next week uh, next week on the same time with more hot tips, more kind of product insights and industry chit chat. I would like to discuss the Spectrum auction, which went horribly awry this week. Oh. They canceled the damn Spectrum auction, and now there's talk that might be delayed for another year. We'll discuss what that means for consumers. It's a bloody disaster, if you ask me. 